Hello, everyone. Uh, let me. Uh, um, I've I've uh, roped uh, Stacy in to do the reading for me, so I don't have to do all the work. Uh, I'm going to split the pay I get with her. So uh, <laughs> anyway, um, this is Genesis four, and I want to start off by making a um, a macro observation, and it turns out that. Genesis 1 through 4 is a distinct literary section, um, a kind of a prologue. And it turns out also that each, uh, it's broken up into four sections, and each section uh, has a poem in it. So in Genesis 1, we have the poem of the creation of humanity in God's image. Uh, in Genesis 2, we have Adam's delight when he, uh, when he saw the woman. Uh, in Genesis 3, we have that long, <laughs> sad uh, thing on the consequences of the fall. And in Genesis 4, we also have a poem. And uh, we'll run into that later as we, as we go along. So, well, and, and each of these poems essentially tells us what the, that section is about. So uh, Genesis is actually amazingly crafted. Uh, there, there's a very strong structure to Genesis, both in the large and in the small. And what we're seeing here is kind of medium scale. So Genesis 1 was kind of small scale structure. Um, there is a large scale structure having to do with uh, the genealogies that are scattered throughout the book. And now this is medium scale where we see that the first section of the book falls into four parts. And these parts are all identified by a poem. Okay, so um, next slide. Go ahead. <laughs> Therefore, just as sin came into the world through man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, so the idea here, I wanted to use this verse to suggest that where we are now is we're in a state of, uh, of sin. That is Romans 4 is the aftermath of the fall. Um, and what was that? Someone say something? Okay. Uh, that was the aftermath of the fall. And there is a, um, uh, now sin and death are in the world. And Romans 5 suggests that sin is a uh, socially transmitted disease. And I want to suggest that that's a good way to look at it. Because uh, many people have wondered why, you know, why are we kind of blamed for Adam's sin? But I don't think we're so much blamed for it as caught up in it. Uh, we become who we are socially by our connections. Uh, we learn who we are and what the, our range of possibilities are. And because of Adam's choice, our range of possibilities no longer included the possibility of connecting with God by default. And so once you're alienated from God, you're also alienated from life. Uh, and it turns out we really can't escape that part of the human condition. Uh, sin is, we, it's not necessary that we sin, but it's inevitable. Somewhere along the line, we're going to make that choice to uh, uh, separate from God or to live separately from God. Um, and that's partly because we don't really understand any alternative. I remember when I was uh, 
kid, there was a very distinct point where I decided I wanted to do a certain thing. I wanted to tell a lie. And I, and I, at that same moment, I said, I don't believe in God. And then I went and told a lie. So I just remember that as being a very distinct point. Maybe that's not the, we may not all have such distinct points and it may be more of a gradual process. And it probably was for me as well. But we, I found that that was where I owned my sinfulness. And of course, being disconnected from, uh, life, uh, from God, we're disconnected from life. Sin and death are inextricably connected. Wherever sin goes, death follows. I call death sin's evil twin. So um, we're in that situation where death is possible and and uh, we'll see how that, we'll see how that, oh yes, death is both possible and God has blocked the tree of life. So that means we can't avoid it. That's where we are right now. Next slide. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the and Cain, the worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Okay, um, so I'm not going to talk much about this section. I'm just going to point out this is where Cain um, basically owned his, owned his sin. He identified with his sin. And the result of him doing so was death. He killed Abel, and we'll see that in a minute. But I'm just suggesting that this is pretty much an inevitable process. Uh, next slide, please. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Red. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to unmute here. So it would probably, anyway. Uh, so what we see here is alienation. Uh, first of all, Cain is alienated from his brother, and so he kills him. He's jealous of his brother, and that results in uh, 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 resentment and alienation toward his brother. And the ultimate expression of alienation is, of course, murder. If you really don't want someone around, the best way to ensure that is to kill him. Uh, so then that results in further alienation, alienation from the ground, which is, as we recall from the first section, 
Cain was a worker of the ground, and so that was an alienation from himself. Uh, he then became alienated from his place. God, God uh, uh, called him to become a fugitive and a wanderer. And if you're a farmer, being a fugitive and a wanderer is about as far from your identity as you can get. Uh, someone, my brother once said that they, they decided that the uh, reason people settled down and farmed the land was so they could take care of their beer. But um, the fact is, if you're a farmer, you have to stay in one place. And that was no longer possible. Uh, or at least God had told Cain that was not going to work out for him anymore. Uh, he then was also hidden from God's face or God's presence. And that is an interesting uh, uh, dynamic there because God never said that to Cain. That was something Cain kind of did. There, be, there was now an adversarial relationship between him and God. And what we really see is that he didn't want to be, he didn't want God around. Okay. And then finally, um, okay, let's, let's move to the next slide. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone, lest any who found him should attack him. Okay, oops, did I get muted again? I'm Okay, so again, what we see there is that Cain is alienated, and he's alienated from society. There is nobody that he can trust, basically, not to kill him. So he's just thinking, now I'm going to wander throughout the world, and the first guy who finds me will say, oh, there's Cain the murderer. I'm going to kill him uh, to, you know, to, to just do some justice on him. And, uh, of course, God then says, no. Vengeance is mine, so to speak. I'm going to put a mark on Cain so nobody will, will kill him. Uh, but but Cain is really obviously in a bad state here. He is not feeling any sense of, um, uh, he has nowhere. He is going to be a fugitive and a wanderer. And he notice he says that my punishment is greater than I can bear. We see a kind of a strange dynamic in Cain's personality which uh, I'm not going to go into, but I just think that's worth observing. Um, this guy really has, you know, he has a negative attitude all the way through. So his punishment is greater than he can bear. Um, but one of the things we can notice about sin is that if, we, if sin is something that comes through our connections, then one way to distance ourselves from sin is to have those connections broken. Uh, in some sense, you can say that God's punishment of Cain was intend, intended redemptively. Uh, it's possible that by disconnecting Cain from his, his identity, he could find a new identity in God. Unfortunately, Cain didn't accept that. Next slide, please. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahujael, 
and Mahujael fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech. Okay, so Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. You notice that at no point does it say that God uh, made him made him go away from the presence of the Lord. He just did it. And so he went into the land of Nod. And the word Nod means wandering. But what did he do in the land of Nod, east of Eden? He settled down. He settled down in the land of Nod. So the, the subtext here is that there's a fundamental contradiction between what Cain wanted and what God wanted for him. And so he tried to mitigate the punishment in his own way, which was to settle down. He then had children and built a city. And a city, again, is the ultimate settling down. You build a city because you're not going anywhere. And uh, Fred did a, a great job um, tracing this city theme throughout the Bible. The city became the, the focus of man's rebellion against God, meaning the place where man attempted to find his identity apart from God. And uh, it, we see how successful that is here and how that turns out. Um, next slide, please. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. Okay, so here what we see is the beginnings of culture, cultural identity. Uh, the children of, uh, of Lamech uh, are, they, they become kind of specialized. There are those who dwell in tents, who, you know, the, the the ranchers, the, the cowboys, you might call them. Uh, there are those who, the musicians, the entertainers, uh, and then the those who are craftsmen, craftsmen who work in, in metal. Uh, and you notice that these become identities. These become, uh, uh, it's like the, he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Uh, he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. There was this whole sense that uh, you are who you are because of who uh, your your parents are, your relatives, and so on and so forth. You become enculturated, and so if you want to be if you want to be a cowboy, uh, but you're a worker of bronze and iron, chances are that won't happen. Okay, and that's kind of my point that your opportunities and possibilities become constrained by um, who you're connected to. And, and so in the, in the city, that pressure to be uh, enculturated is strong because you're around everybody all the time. There's a social network that uh, kind of forces you into a particular mold, a particular way of living. Um, and in this day and age, we find that, you know, like, like we think of Silicon Valley, right? And we have certain ideas about what, what we'll be like or what people will tend to be like in Silicon Valley. And it's not easy to break out of that mold. It's not easy to have other um, uh, ways of doing things or approaches to life. Um, and so 
we have the origins of culture. Okay, next slide, please. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Okay, so here's the poem. And in as I mentioned before, each section, the poem serves as the focal, focal point for that section. So what's the focal point in this section? Well, we have Cain the killer and Cain's progeny becomes sort of the super killer. You know, he, uh, he compares himself to Cain and says, I'm 10 times more, or, or depending on how you read it, uh, I'm a lot, you know, I'm a lot more of a, of a taking of vengeance than, than Cain. And it's kind of interesting that there's a, there's a sort of a misinterpretation there. Uh, I, well, I, I guess you could say uh, he was saying, if Cain is going to be avenged sevenfold, I will avenge myself 77-fold. So, so this notion of vengeance has become sort of his claim to fame. Lamech, Lamech is all about vengeance. Nobody's going to mess with me because if they do, they're going to, you know, they're going to die. And so the, the enculturation of the progeny of Cain focuses itself on Lamech, the ultimate taker of vengeance, the ultimate, uh, uh, yeah, the ultimate unforgiving heart. Okay. Um, now I wanted to, I, I want to kind of give an example of how this uh, works out. And I, and I want you guys to be, understand me, I'm not trying to make a criticism here or a political statement or anything, but I am going to make, uh, I'm going to make some comments on the September, uh, the 9-11 uh, and, and the aftermath of that. And one of the interesting things that I found uh, um, as a Christian, I found it really interesting was how people, when they're saying we have to do something, they were all saying we have no choice. We have no choice. We have to do whatever. And whenever you hear those words, we have no choice, um, you understand you're in the presence of basically of, of sin. Sin leaves you no choice. Sin takes you somewhere you don't want to go, but you find you have to go there. And uh, so the number, the number of deaths from the 9-11 uh, uh, attacks is 2,977, 2,977. So that's a lot of deaths and every one of them is tragic, and especially those who went into the buildings to try to rescue others and were, were killed as a result. Um, and, and so we, we, our hearts go out to those people or went out to the, it's been some time now. But, uh, you know, I was, I was actually driving to work when I heard about it. I remember, and I, I remember thinking, whoa, what's going on here? This is, I, I couldn't, I thought maybe there was a huge earthquake or something. And when I got to work and saw what happened, it was like a tremendous shock. Uh, okay, so in the aftermath, the U.S. decided to attack Iraq and Afghanistan. And the phrase was used, we have no choice. As a result of that, um, 2,448 U.S. military died in Afghanistan 
up to I think 2019. I can't get I couldn't get the actual current uh, figures, or at least I didn't uh, take the time to. But it was something like 2,448 in uh, Afghanistan and 4,606 in Iraq. Now, now add those up, and you realize that you are about twice the number of U.S. military died in Afghanistan and Iraq as died in the World Trade Towers. And that's kind of ironic to me, that our, the actions we took afterwards as a country killed more of our young men than died in those towers. And, you know, I, I remember the story of Pat Tillman, who was a, uh, went to Leland High School. He was an NFL superstar, walked away from a multi-million dollar contract so he could go be an army ranger, went to Afghanistan and was killed accidentally by his own troops. And that's almost, you know, that to me, when I, when I heard that, I thought, wow, how sad is that? Okay, now what about the other side? And this is... <laughs> This is where it gets to be in, in Lamech-like territory. The number of Afghani deaths that can be attributed to the war is about 110,000, and the number of Iraqi deaths is about 400,000. So uh, over half a million people can have died by direct result of the action that was taken uh, uh, in the wars. and. So that sounds more like Lamech than anything else, doesn't it? Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to criticize here. I'm not saying, you know, I mean, can you imagine, you know, if the U.S. had said, well, we're going to love our enemies, we're going to forgive our enemies. What would have happened? It would have been, you know, there's no way people would have bought into that. I can't imagine that, you know. So we had no choice, okay? Okay. So that is, I, I would say this is the, uh, the fruit of Lamech and Cain. That, that, that branch of the human race results in a uh, tendency for us to take revenge on a massive scale. Okay, let's go to the next, chapter, uh, next section, please. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Okay, so if you remember, um, uh, this, this word offspring there actually means, uh, is actually seed. And we remember that Eve was promised that her seed would um, would bruised the, or would crush the head of the serpent, though he would be, though the serpent would, would sting him in the heel. Um, and so she kind of sees Seth here as maybe another um, uh, a, a foreshadowing of that. I mean, we don't really know, we, it doesn't really say what she thought, but she was, he was another seed that had, that was kind of taking a different branch than, uh, than the one that she had lost. Um, and you notice here, it says, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And what we see here is another branch of humanity. We have the branch of Cain that, that focuses 
on Lamech. And now we have another branch through Seth that calls upon the name of the Lord, that seeks fellowship with God. Okay. And I believe this is a foreshadowing of Christ. This is a foreshadowing of the uh, people of God that God would call out from among humanity. First in the person of Abram, Abraham, uh, and then is and Israel, and then finally and more definitively in the in uh, Christ and in His uh, those of us who have become children of God through Him. And um, let's see here. We we can see some of the uh, New Testament. Um, the, the New Testament makes mention of the first Adam and the last Adam. First uh, Corinthians fifteen forty five says the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving soul. So the first Adam be became alive, um, but we are no longer of the first Adam as Christians. We're of the last Adam who became a life-giving spirit. And similarly, you have Romans 5, which compares Adam and Christ. And I'm not going to read that one, but um, that's a that's a really entertain, uh, entertaining and and fascinating uh, comparison the way Paul, it's almost like Paul seems to say, I'm not going to compare them. They're not, you can't compare them. They're incomparable. And here's the comparison. I always think it's kind of funny the way he does that. But anyway, the point is we are a new humanity. We are no longer connected to Cain. We are now connected to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the seed, which comes through um, that, that would uh crushed the head of the serpent, and that, that Seth foreshadowed. We are the people who call upon the name of the Lord. Okay. Um, now, here's, here is why I made this connection. Uh, next slide, please. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Okay, why do you think Jesus, what do you think was going through Jesus's mind when he said that? Maybe Lamech? He was explicitly making a contrast between those who follow him and the progeny of Lamech, of Cain and Lamech. So what we see is the human race kind of uh, descended from Cain and Lamech and, and all that. Uh, the human race is all about revenge and, and serious level revenge, not just eye for an eye, but, you know, <laughs> a half a village for an eye or something along those lines. Uh, one of the things that people have long pointed out is that the eye for an eye commandment was actually a limit on the vengeance you could take. But what do we see here? We see here that the people of God, the people of uh, the followers of Jesus are not about revenge, but about 77 times forgiveness. So we are by contrast with 70 times, 77 times revenge, we are people who are of 77 times forgiveness. There's a, there's a completely different approach to, uh, to, to life. Um, and so anyway, um, I want to tell a story about this. This is uh, a story that comes from, so, 
from this book here. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, that doesn't work. Uh, did it? Did it actually work? Can you read it? I. I. Is it? It's backward for me. You guys can read it. It's called the end of the spear. And some of you may know about this, but I. I when I sounded sounded this out, not many people did. And it's a story about the the people who went to Ecuador and were killed trying to evangelize the tribesmen there and how the wife and children uh, of those men who were killed went and lived among the tribesmen. And the, the incredible story that came out of that was one of the sons of the father that was, uh, one of the sons whose father was killed ended up being baptized by the man who had killed his father. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, wow. How could that ever happen? How could that happen in this world that, that there would be such love between a man uh, and, a, and a, a, a son whose father the man had killed? And because they did, they called him grandfather. They, they, they considered themselves part of his family. And uh, this actually became a movie that, uh, where that story was told. And to me, it's like, think about the the alternative between, you know, the our, the U.S.'s response to 9/11, necessary as it may have been, and the forgiveness and love that came out between uh, between these two people who were both followers of the way of of the cross. And this is really, I think, what we see in this in this passage. We see two completely different orientations towards life. We see the human condition lost in sin and death. And we see a new life um, where forgiveness is the, is the way of life and um, life and love are the things that characterize us. And so my prayer for all of us is that we could um, forgive. We can, we can make that the basis for our lives, for our fellowship, for everything we do, that we're willing to forgive and to love. Uh, okay, thank you.